0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate
1: set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, a podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC Multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and
2: Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. He is Peter Watson, he's not lying, he's telling you the truth. And I'm David Steele, Um, welcome back, thank you for joining us. Today we are looking at part one of the 1966 Justice League of America and Justice Society crossover team-up. We're doing a story from issue 46 of Justice League of America that was published on the 9th of June 1966 with a cover date of August 1966. So, issue 46 of JLA is quite a significant one because it's the first appearance in the Silver Age of the Golden Age DC superhero, the Sandman. Now, the Sandman is probably the last of the big name j s a members from the forties to to make his reappearance we've had wildcat turn up fairly recently, but Wesley dodds the sandman he hasn't been around for a very long time, so he first appeared in new York worlds fair comics number one released in april nineteen thirty nine so he's one of the earliest d c superheroes. He had a regular feature in adventure comics running from issue forty to number one hundred and two. He got a new look in issue sixty nine When previously he'd worn his very famous, very iconic suit, gas mask, fedora and big coat stroke cape combination, he was given a new look, a very traditional superhero outfit, a yellow leotard with purple highlights, and he was also given a teen sidekick in the form of Sandy the Golden Boy. The interesting thing is that Sandman's costume change and the ultimate fate of Sandy the Golden Boy will become something we talk about in the future, but we're not going to talk about it now. Sandman was also a member of the Justice Society and was there from Issues 3 all the way up to Issue 21. Now, it's worth pointing out that this revival of the Sandman takes place around about three years after Marvel Comics debuted their own Sandman character. Ah, interesting. Now, PC, you're much more of a Silver Age Marvel guy than I. Am I right in thinking that was issue four of Amazing Spider-Man? That sounds about right to me, yes. Flint Marco, William Baker. He's had several names over the
1: years. I can't remember which one's his real name, but yeah. I
2: read that story when it was reprinted in Marvel Tales in the 80s, and I seem to remember he gets...
1: Yes, I had that issue as well.
2: Yeah. yeah, he gets defeated by getting sort of sucked up by the school hoover, if memory serves. Yep, that's true. Marvel's Sandman is literally a man of sand because, you know, he's quite a prominent Marvel character in sort of the Silver Age and Bronze Age is the, the Sandman. Mm-hmm. And I know we've mentioned in the past one of our favourite comics is the issue of Marvel 2 and one issue 86, when he reforms. Yes. He becomes a, not quite a goodie at that point, but he kind of reconsiders. It's worth pointing out that there were a couple of Sandmen being published at the same time. And in a similar sort of way... Peter mentioned recently when we were chatting that um, issue 9 of The Avengers, which is published in August 1964, apparently mm-hmm. it's his favourite single comic of all time. It certainly is, yes. Uh-huh. And that introduces the character of Wonder Man. Yep. And that's about a year after Superman met someone called Wonder Man in issue 163 of his comic. <laughs> so it just goes to show, there's a lot of good names being flung about and used by the comics publishers at this time. You know, And if you've listened to our episode on the MF Enterprises Captain Marvel, you were probably surprised that there wasn't a Sandman <laughs> popping up there. Because let's be honest, it could have happened. If they had another issue, I'm sure there would have been. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Just as on a wee tangent, Pete, tell us about Avengers Issue Nine and why you like it so much. It's just a fantastically
1: told one and done story. I originally had it in the British Comics reprint when I was a boy, Mm -hmm. and the story basically is Wonder Man is Simon Williams, and he's basically like a low rent Tony Stark. Right, he's got some dodgy business deals that kind of all fall through, and in order to try and escape, get sent to jail, and being ruined, uh, he accepts an offer from Baron Zemo. Ah, uh-huh. Heinrich Zemo, the original Baron Zemo, okay. uh, along with the Enchantress and the Executioner, he accepts an offer from them to be given powers, and he gets these ionic powers. So he's an incredibly powerful character, and he is going to infiltrate the Avengers, and he decides he wants to. Just reform then, uh, instead of working for the Masters of Evil. Right. But it turns out that unless he gets uh, further doses of this Ionic energy, then he's going to die. Ah, disaster. Oh no. So he has to work for the Masters of Evil, but in the end he decides he's just going to reform properly and work with the Avengers against Baron Zemo, and of course that means... He dies for a mm. time. Mm.
2: He gets better. He does come back. He gets better. He's one of my favourite Avengers. Actually, He's a big fan of him. The eighties. I loved his sort of safari jacket uniform. Yeah, that's good. Cool I even liked the one that he had for a while in West Coast Avengers, the green and red one that everyone else seemed to hate, but I thought it was great. Oh, I'm
1: not a fan of that one. I like the black T-shirt one with the the red W. That was good. Cool. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty
2: smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the Wonder Man podcast. <laughs> shall we? Shall we move yeah. on to JLA Forty Six? Yes. As is the tradition, do you want to tell us about the cover?
1: It's a, a lovely purple background. We've got the Google checks at the top. Mm -hmm. It's 1966 after all And underneath the Justice League of America logo We have Solomon Grundy and Blockbuster Two big heavyweights of Earth 1 and Earth 2 Right there And they are punching the living daylights (laughs) Out of Batman, Wildcat and Sandman Who's getting crushed by the falling body of Batman Yeah And they're doing it all through sound effects Because as I said, it's 1966 folks Yeah Wildcat is being punched through the O of the word POW (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, Solomon Grundy has given a lovely left hook to Batman, and his fist has gone through an O of sock. Yep, and Sandman has been crushed on the ground on top of a big giant
2: sound effect that says thud. Terrific! A lot of Silver Age comics. Let's be honest, they're quite sophisticated. Mm. You know, they were really pushing the envelope. You know, they were taking themselves seriously and they were telling really good stuff. This is almost a step backwards, isn't it? It's very Yeah, definitely. It's that sort of cartoony thing that a lot of people who aren't really too familiar with the genre, I suppose, would equate and think that all comics are like. Yeah. It's certainly a bit more simple. I love the brightness of this cover. It's so vibrant. I mean, we've got this Uh gorgeous bright yellow Justice League of America logo against the purple. Mm -hmm. And then the POW is in giant green letters. The SOCK. It's in um, giant yellow and it's an orange against a purpley-pink flash that the thud is made up of. And that's that's just gorgeous. And as usual, like a lot of the comics that we've been reading at this time, there's an awful lot of text on this cover as well, isn't there? There certainly is. The battle marathon
0: that turns the universe inside out. Batman, Sandman, Wildcat, plus seven more superheroes. Versus Solomon Grundy, Blockbuster, Anti-Matter-Man.
2: It's too overwhelming to be shown on this cover. <laughs> now, we have met Wildcat already in the podcast. We met him recently Yes. in the pages of Brave and Bold 62. We've, Batman's turned up plenty of times. We've already said this is the first appearance of the Golden Age Sandman and the Silver Age. Solomon Grundy we've met already in the pages of Showcase 55. Yep. And for him, the story follows mm-hmm. on from that. But this is the first time we've met Blockbuster. And Blockbuster hasn't been around for very long. He was actually only introduced in issue 345 of Detective Comics. Which obviously just a couple of issues before an issue which we did quite recently. Yes. Um, and that was published in September 1965 with a date of November 65. So he's not even been around for a year at this point. Nope. It pops up in Batman again quite soon after this story. It's a really, really iconic cover by Carmine. Yes, that's correct. The Blockbuster Goes Batman. Yeah, red cover with the logo getting sort of really mashed up and stuff. It's a cracker. So yeah, Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with the song by Sweet or the popular chain of video rentals, or indeed the daytime quiz originally presented by Bob Holness. No, nothing at all to do with them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Blockbuster's very Hulk-like in that he was like a frail chemist who develops this formula and it turns him into a mindless, super-strength savage, pretty much. Mm. But I do love in the cover as well, he does still seem to have a very nice parting in his hair. Yes. Very kind of stylish, very 60s. I'm
2: glad to see that even the mindless savage takes care of his hair there. I remember when I used to have a parting in my hair. (laughs) Those were the days. Before your hair parted. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> I've I've been quite down on Mike Sikowski in the past, we should point out the covers drawn by Sikowski and Jogi Ella. Yeah. Jogiella, yeah. right, I couldn't remember his phone. Yeah. It's safe to say that that Sikowski has kind of raised his game a little bit in the artwork in this story, possibly influenced by some of his now contemporaries. There's a lot to enjoy. So mm-hmm. shall we get started? Let's do this. Awesome. Our opening splash panel. We see the antimatter man who was too overwhelming to be shown in the cover. To me he looks very much like a Star Trek buddy. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, he's Kind of got the, he's got the head shape of like a, one of the grey aliens, as it yeah. were. Uh, but his face, because he's, he's got half well blue and half black, mm. it sort of looks like the, the character Frank Gorsham mm. played in the original series. So yes. Was Beale, is it Beale or Loki he was? I, can I can't remember. remember he was one of them. Yeah, they, those two characters had the two-sided mm. face, mm-hmm. where
2: one was dark mm. and the other one was white. So it's very similar to that. That's exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was an orange outfit. It's like an orange T-shirt and orange leggings, and he has a purple belt, and he wears boots. He's standing in the middle of this image, and range before him are the assembled members of the Justice League of America and the Justice Society of America, and they're all in it sort of forming a human chain that appears to be trying to stop Earth 1 and Earth 2 from colliding. It's a brilliant image, and as usual, as you would expect, because it's 1966, there's a heck load of text. There is indeed. So, let's do the roll
1: calls first, mm. because we have got two roll calls here for the Justice League and the Justice Society. So, Justice League roll call is... Batman, Flash, Green Lantern and Hawkman. Yep. And the Justice Society roll call is Black Canary, Doctor Fate, Doctor Midnight, Sandman, Spectre and Wildcat. An interesting 4 to 6 ratio there of Leaguers to Society members.
2: Yeah, it's great. And one thing I like straight away that I notice is there's no duplication here. No. No counterparts. It's only one flash and it's only one Green Lantern, it's only one Hawkman. No mention of the atom, but you know that's that's perhaps a spoiler. The caption at the top tells its a story by Gardner Fox, art by Mike Sakowski and Sid Green, and then we have another story setting caption, which goes a little bit like this
0: Hurtling toward collision,
2: destruction with each other are Earth One and
0: Earth Two. Striding towards those Earths comes another world shattering menace from the Antimatter Universe. As if this isn't enough, you know what's now happening on Earth 1 and Earth 2? Sheer disaster in the persons of Blockbuster and Solomon Grundy. But we can't go on. You'll have to read all about it for yourself. Our nerves are too (laughs) badly shattered because we already know what's going to take place in the... Crisis crisis between between Earth Earth 1 1
2: and Earth 2. 2. Amazing There we are I'm really excited We're doing these stories Because I got these issues I seem to remember My friend Scott bought me them for my birthday In Stateside Comics In Glasgow Which I ended up working in A few months later They're amongst the earliest JLA, JSA team ups In my collection As far as From a position of me Owning them So I've owned these comics for nearly 30 years, which is very, very nice. So, straight into the story then. As a truck hurtles
0: at dangerous speeds along the twisted roads of Morrow Mountain.
2: Morrow Mountain, that's interesting. Yeah, and we see a truck with acme furs written on it. It's a green truck speeding along, clouds of dust as it being cast up, as it hurtles along the road, and we see in the distance flying behind it, it's Hawkman, the Hawkman of Earth One, and he is thinking, Those
1: fur hijackers won't get far. I'll soon overtake them and... Uh-oh.
2: Heavy fog rolling in. Yeah, in the bottom of the panel, we see sort of why it said there was a the cloud of dust. It's obviously it's the heavy fog that Hawkman is talking about. That's rolling in. And in the next panel, his view of the road is completely obscured by this cloud of fog. And he's thinking... Fog's become so
1: pea-soupy. I can't see the truck at all now. But, judging from the sound of its motor, I'm right over it. Then the caption for the next panel says... Suddenly the
0: mist thins and Hawkman sees to his amazement... There's a different car
2: underneath, and he's being fired upon. Hawkman thinks, Great Polaris, the truck is gone, and there's an armoured car in its place firing up at me. Yeah, instead of a green truck, we have a sort of purple armoured car, and there's a hood and a suit with a hat. firing up at Hawkman has got the blam blam sound effects. We move to panel four, and the caption says, Dipping and darting, the winged wonder whips wisps of mist in front of him. With a flap and a flap of his wings, Hawkman thinks,
1: Truck or armoured car, those men are criminals. One thing's sure, I'm not leaving here empty-handed.
2: And then the caption for the next very exciting panel. Then, like a disembodied spirit, he drives out of the mist. And as Hawkman bursts into action, he thinks, They left the car to get a better shot at me, only to give me a better shot at them. Yeah, and we can now see three hoods, including one guy who was wearing the same colour of suit as the one that was firing on Hawkman. He's been taken out by a whap with Hawkman's mace. There's a couple of other guys with hats and guns pointing at him. We move to the top of page three, and with a Zock, Hawkman takes out another one of the baddies, and he's thinking,
1: This guy's jaw makes too handy a target to resist my personal touch.
2: And in the next panel, he thinks, When they come to, I'll find out how they pulled that switcheroo. And this is great. With a little flash of emphasis and a clunk and a Zock, we see Hawkman taking out another baddie. And again, very similar to the Green Lantern story we did very recently There's a huge sprinkling of very large cartoony sound effects, very like the ones that we got on the cover. And again, as we've said before, this is obviously the influence of the Batman TV show at this point. Setting the public image of comics back decades... (laughs) As much as it's fun, we're still having to explain to people that they're not like that 60 years later. (laughs) So it's a bit of a slow dissolve and the caption for the next panel says
0: On Morrow Mountain another grim figure is bursting with questions as his sand car hurtles after a fleeing
2: vehicle. Yes. And we see in this panel a very sleek red motor car. Uh, Very sleek indeed. There's almost a hint of the the 70s Batmobile to it, actually. Mm -hmm. We can see this car is being driven by a besuited, gas-mask-wearing, hatted figure. Yes, it's Wesley Dodds, making his first appearance in decades fantastic. As he roars along, the Sandman is thinking, Beats me how I could be chasing an armoured car, only to have it turn into a big truck. My best bet is to run the truck off the road. Indeed, we see in the panel the green fur truck on the previous page. The caption for the next panel then says, Get set
0: for a thrilling treat fans, you're about to see Sandman, one of the original members of the Justice Society of America of Earth 2, go into
1: action with his special weapon, Sand. And in a nice little effect, we've got kind of at the bottom of the caption box, it's
2: almost like dissolving into sand itself there's almost like little sand particles drifting out the bottom of the, the capsule it's very effective and it's a very small very dynamic panel as the sandman with a screech roars past the truck which with a slightly exaggerated crash obviously he's run it off the road that can first tremendous the next panel shows Sandman leaping out of his car running back towards the truck the bad guys are getting out of the truck and the sandman is thinking i don't have to be a mind reader to know these characters are crooks no matter what sort of vehicle they're riding in. A handful of sand into the air and an oddly shaped energy rod flashes a torrent of heat and water at drifting grains of matter. Yeah, Sandman is wielding a gun in this final panel. And as the caption says, it's finding a little burst of red heat and we can also see some water coming out of it and there's a little cloud of sand in front of him. And as he's firing his gun, Sandman is thinking their guns will be no match for my special weapon. Over the page then to page four. And then the first panel, page four, the baddies are reacting to what Sandman's fantastic new gun has done. The first baddie says, A cement wall formed like magic in front of us. And the second hood says, Hey, that's not Hawkman. What kind of deal have we stumbled into? And they're both firing their guns with a blam and a wham at this very orange coloured wall of cement that the Sandman has managed to create in front of him. And I've got to say, that's quite a departure from what Sandman used to do in the olden days. Yes, there's going to be more of that as we go along. Yeah, the first sort of early Sandman stories were almost sort of very atmospheric, noirish. Yes. Not really superhero stories as such, but then when, when he was rebooting, obviously, and Jack Kirby and Joe Simon were working on him. It was very traditional, sort of acrobatic sort of superhero stuff. So this is quite an evolution for Wesley Dodds, it must be said. So now, the second panel on page four, the caption says... The cement wall
0: crumbles into a sandy curtain as the grainy gladiator surges forward.
2: (laughs) Sandy curtain. I think my my dad went to school with someone called Sandy curtain. Hello, Sandy, if you're listening. Make sure you follow us on all our social media, Sandy. This is tremendous, there's so much going on here. The Instant wall of cement has crumbled indeed when Sandman is marching forwards and one of the bad guys is saying, Look out, whoever he is, here he comes. And as the Sandman moves forward, he's thinking, I've been out of the crook-catching business so long, these thugs don't even know me. In the next panel, Sandman is firing his gun again and the sand that made up the cement wall has now been reconfigured as sort of glass bubbles that have encapsulated the bad guy's guns. And one of the bad guys is saying, This guy's a whiz. He turned the sand into glass. And the big bad guy says, He got his handcuffed. And then the next panel with a giant exaggerated sock sound effect, the Sandman knocks out the other baddie saying, "Talk up. How'd you change that armoured car into a hijacked truck? They have a change of theory in the next panel and a caption box that says
0: Hawkman and Sandman are not the only crime fighters wondering what strange force has come upon their normal orderly worlds. For instance, at this moment, on Earth 2...
2: And I have to say, Sokowski's artwork here is terrific. The the expressions yeah. and the, the detail and the features on these two bad guys is, is amazing. I can... Yeah, I'm almost lost for words, actually. It's terrific. They almost look like Dick Tracy bad guys. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, So we have a, a hood and a hat with a cigarette wearing a green suit and another guy wearing a slightly fancier hat with what looks like some fishing flies in the band. He's wearing a blue suit and the guy in the blue suit is holding up a bag but rushing in from the background in this panel, it's Dr Midnight! Of course, we met recently in the pages of The Flash. As Dr Midnight rushes in, he says, Ah, I diagnosed this case as a bank robbery. Now I'm here to operate. That's fantastic dialogue. And the bad guy in the blue suit says, Trouble ahead, it's Dark Midnight. Fantastic. So we skip over a page to page five, passing an advertisement for an 80-page issue of Jimmy Olsen. And the first caption at the top of page five says,
0: Out of his medical satchel, Dr. Midnight
2: yanks a specialised weapon. Yeah. You know, whereas Sandman had a nifty gun, Dr. Midnight has some new accoutrements as well. It's fascinating. And Dr. Midnight's holding up this gadget You know, it's a gun with a sort of star-shaped barrel, almost, or or various sort of little barrels coming off it in the sort of formation of a star. And radiating outwards, we have our now familiar sort of co-centric circles and then some little waves of radiation, it looks like, coming from it. And as he's operating this, Dr Midnight says, When I came out of retirement, I changed some of my crime-fighting techniques. Demonstration number one, by cyril tuber. Then the caption for the next panel says... The weapon quivers
0: and hums and shock
2: nerves react to its stabbing power. And the next panel shows the radiating sort of co circles. They're all colored sort of red, orange, and yellow sort of in alternating patterns. And we see the two bodies basically being, it looks like they're being flung up into there. And we can see that the money they were trying to steal has sort of fallen down. Their guns have been thrown out of their hands. Dr. Midnight says, no, I don't have to rely so much on my old-fashioned blackout bomb. And one of the floating discombobulated baddies says oh all of a sudden i'm doing a crazy what to see fantastic and in panel three of page five a nice close-up shot of dr midnight operating his equipment and he's thinking the nerves of the human body control all its actions and reactions by stimulating them in a certain way i can control what these thugs do And then the caption for the next panel says,
0: Then from the open bank vault off to one side of the chamber, a third gunman fires.
2: Yeah, thanks Gardner Fox. Seeing what we see, very handy indeed. It's a sort of high shot here up, up above behind Dr Midnight. We can see the bank vault open at the top of the panel. And a hooded and besuited man fires on the doctor. But Dr Midnight thinks, another one. I've got a special treatment for him.
0: From another anode of his medical
2: weapon, the Man of Midnight triggers a blast of power. And Dr. Midnight thinks as he fires his gun, just as a cyrol probe can change warm flesh to solid ice with liquid nitrogen during an operation, so also can my cyrol tuber. And we see that this baddie from the vault, his gun has been blasted and shrouded in an ice, which is insane that Dr. Midnight now has this equipment. And this final baddie, he exclaims, My hand! Frozen solids! (laughs) Outstanding. We
0: now move to the top of page six. As the crime crusader leaps forward to round up his captors, he finds himself whirled around and around, violently and
2: incredibly. Yeah, all of a sudden, it looks like Dr. Midnight has become like a human top. He's spinning around. We see his body whirling around and... A nice It's almost like the five faces of Dr. Midnight as he rotates. (laughs) And he exclaims, what? What's happening to me? I feel like a top with legs. And then the caption for the next panel. Suddenly, hands reach out to grip and stop him as... And indeed, suddenly, it's Barry Allen in costume as the Flash of Earth One. And he's arrested Dr. Midnight's movement, grabbing him by the shoulders. And the Flash says, Dr. Midnight, where'd you come from?
1: I was just about to pull a whirlabout capture of some bank robbers when they disappeared, and
2: I nabbed you. I was doing the same thing when I found myself spun out of my Earth-2 and into your Earth-1. We then have another change of scenery in a caption that says, Elsewhere
0: on Earth-1, under cover of a tear gas bomb from his utility
2: belt, Batman blasts through at some jewel thieves. And a very thick, Sikowsky-looking Batman indeed is tackling a couple of baddies, one of whom wears an orange suit, he's a bit of a buzz cut thing, and his hat flying off. And there's another guy who looks very, very haggard, very jowly, receding hairline, tufts of hair at the side, he's wearing a dark suit and a red tie. We can see jewels flying all around as Batman takes them out. Batman's punching the baldy guy with a giant whap sound effect. He collides with his mate with a clunk, and as he's doing all this, Batman is thinking, I'll wrap this up so fast these crooks won't be
0: clear-eyed till they see themselves in jail.
2: Caption for the next panel then says...
0: There is an abrupt moment of intense cold of dizziness and out of nowhere comes
2: a flying fist. Yeah, with a giant thud sound effect. Batman is suddenly getting a punch on the jaw and he thinks... <sighs> that punch had knockout drop plastered all over it. The caption for the next panel says...
0: For a few moments before the last wisps of the tear gas bomb disappear and they can recognise each other... Two crime crusaders exchange powerhouse punches!
2: And it's revealed that Batman has actually just been punched by Wildcat! with giant zap and POW sound effects they're still laying into each other and Wildcat realises what's happening and says, Hold it! What am I doing battling Batman? And the Cape Crusader replies, Wildcat! How'd you get mixed up in this? So Batman knows Wildcat? Yes! And we'll know him again and again and again in the pages of Brave and Bold. Interesting. So, yes, Batman. this is the first meeting of Batman and Wildcat in the pages of our podcast. So that's quite nice. That's that's worth noting. Yes. Over the page now to page seven.
0: Here and there on Earth 1 and Earth 2, other people are having difficulty with similar eerie
2: changeovers. Yeah, this one's hilarious. We see, obviously, in the middle of a wedding service, some shocked bystanders as a very disturbed... Bride exclaims, Ah! You aren't my Robert! And an equally startled groom says, And you aren't my bride, Barbara! And then the next caption for the next panel says, The fight game was put back several years when... (laughs) And this is outstanding. Talk about strange sports stories. (laughs) We're now in a boxing ring with a boxer... As you'd expect, bare-chested, gloved up in shorts, looking at a, a guy who's um, just warped in from the golf course. <laughs> and the golfer says, Four! Hey, where's the tea? And the boxer replies, where are peddling bobo go? <laughs> Punch-drunk love. Amazing. Wow, it's all kicking off. Interdimensional Earth 1 and Earth 2 drama. This is great. I wonder what's causing all of these people to be swapped around. I wonder if we'll find out soon. So, we now move towards the bottom of page 7, and a caption says,
0: On Earth 2, Black Canary is chasing a burglar across a rooftop. When...
2: Yeah, we see Black Canary, and she's not in a rooftop. She's running through a swamp, by the looks of it. And she's thinking, Last side of the crook, and my senses too, judging from this marshland I'm inexplicably slashing through... So then in the next panel, we have a caption that says, At this mystifying moment, a green glow surrounds her, and... Green Lantern Hal Jordan appears in the air above Black Canary, and he says, Black Canary, I just got
1: an emergency signal from the Flash. He said something about people being whisked back and forth between Earth
2: 1 and Earth 2. And Black Canary says, If I'm on your Earth, Green Lantern, I'm one of the victims too. And now things really start to kick off, because the final page-length panel of page 7 it shows the Ghostly Guardian Spectre and a caption that says,
0: Far out in space, this spectre is enlarging himself toward the asteroid
2: belt beyond Mars when... And the spectre is thinking, Starman alerted me that some of the asteroids were about to move out of their orbit, fall toward Earth. He's off on another urgent case. Asked me to handle it. Hey, what's that? Strange tugging on my body. Then we move to the top of page eight and a caption says, EXERT ALL
0: HIS TITANIC ENERGIES AS HE WILL. THE GHOSTLY GUARDIAN CANNOT WITHSTAND THE
2: OVERWHELMING PRESSURES THAT DRAW HIM OUT OF THIS COSMIC UNIVERSE. Yeah, and it looks as though the Spectre is dissolving. This is a really cosmic panel from Sikowski. We can see some planets and some space in the background as the Spectre. I'm still fighting the urge to call him Jim after all these decades. It's basically... yeah, there's no other word for it. He seems like he's evaporating into a cloud of smoke and he's thinking, I feel like smoke, drawn by a strong suction. Where is it taking me? Not far away, in a striped prison globe of
0: mystic energies, the marshland monster known as Solomon Grundy feels an alien power surging into his body.
2: And this panel shows Solomon Grundy as we last saw him in that little bubble of energy created by Dr. Fate and Green Lantern, still floating about in space, and he yells... (laughs) We see the bubbles start to move, and the caption says,
0: Hurled out of orbit, battered by the fantastic forces that have affected others on Earth 1 and Earth 2, the prison in which Dr. Fate and Green Lantern placed the macabre
2: man thing hurtles <laughs> earthward. Yes, so the bubble starts moving down towards Earth, but then it also shatters. You can see Grundy starting to break free. And I like that little mention again of the macabre man thing. It won't be the last. It won't be the last. (laughs) Terrific. So we have a nice caption to close out this opening chapter of this story, and it says, What's
0: going on? And off, Earths 1 and 2. Only time and the mysteries of space itself hold the answer. Read on for the startling developments that build to a smashing, awe-inspiring climax.
2: Continued in fourth page following. (laughs) <laughs> now, one thing, before we go further, one thing I want to comment on here is Spectre mentions Starman Yes, as if he casually phoned him up Yeah, <laughs> and we see Grundy close by, not far away in space and time, etc So this, I suppose, clarifies something we talked about slightly When we did our first couple of Showcase Spectre episodes mm-hmm. This confirms then, at this point, that Spectre is on Earth too Absolutely, yes So, we continue a few pages following We have this issue's letters page we have some Caps hobby hints. We have some direct currents mentioning the Legion, the Metal Men, Earth-Fighting Forces, Sugar and Spice, uh, Breathe the Bow and and a few others. We have The Policeman is Your Friend, one of those lovely public service announcement pages that we used to get. And then, as we reach story page nine, we have a an opening caption that says, Crisis, crisis between, between Earth One and, and Earth Two, Part two. two. So, Part Two begins with a, a large caption
0: box that says, To face a desperate challenge from some unknown force or adversary, the displaced members of the Justice Society gather with the involved Justice Leaguers in the Earth-1 Secret Sanctuary. Disbelief and grim determination etch their faces that furrowed fury as the realization burst on them that they have no clues at all to the solution of this mysterious menace.
2: Fantastic. And this is a really, really good I mean I can't praise Sukowski's artwork enough. He's really raised his game compared to the sort of the childish chicken scratchings that took up so much of the first couple of GLAs that we did. Maybe I'm being too harsh on him, but this is really nice, <laughs> it's a pleasure. So we see the flash, Doctor Midnight and Hawkman. They've obviously been doing some contemplating. It's a very shiny floor as well in this GLA headquarters because we can see not almost the reflection, sort of it really gives it a real depth. It's really nice. Green Lantern and Black Canary come rushing in. So Doctor Midnight is Stroking his chin and saying, it's absolutely incredible. Men and women of both Earths transferred back and forth at random in madcap fashion. And Hawkman addresses the arriving Green Lantern and Black Canary, saying, Here comes Green Lantern, and what a pleasant surprise, Black Canary. As Green Lantern and Canary rush in, Canary says, Has anybody learned what's behind this? Green Lantern tried to send me back to Earth too, but was powerless to do so. Next panel, Dr Midnight offers i wonder if the trouble spot we're hunting is on my native earth too Green Lantern says even if it were how'd
1: we get there my power ring couldn't send black canary back the flash cuts in with and don't count on my super speed vibrations to do it i've already tried and no can do
2: awesome one thing I want to say before we go further, I think it's an excellent idea, the people being swapped back and forth between the Earths and all that. I mean, uh-huh. ordinary humans who aren't aware of the whole I thing, that must have been terrifying. Uh-huh. And I wonder if this is the first time, really, then, that the idea of the multiple Earths really comes into sort of, shall we say, the public consciousness. Yes. You know, for all the inhabitants of Earth 1 and Earth 2. Definitely, yeah.
1: That is something that we will uh, follow up on later, Yeah.
2: much later on in the podcast. Yes. Yeah. You know, how how well known it is. Because I, I seem to remember that when we did, I think it was when we did Flash 129, there was a newspaper mm-hmm. headline which talked about the other Flash. The parallel world, yes. Yeah. That's correct. So, yeah. um, so it's, it'll be interesting as we go to kind of try and map out how consistent yes. this sort of thing is. But anyway, yeah. So we now move to the top of page 10. And the conversation between this little mixed bunch of Justice Leaguers and Justice Society members continues. And Black Canary is saying... Then, for a while at least, we're stuck here on Earth 1. And Dr Midnight says... While diagnosing our troubles, we'd like to offer our services as substitutes for any of your members who are teleported to Earth 2. The Flash says... Offer accepted.
1: And Green Lantern then interrupts with... Hold it. A news flash coming in over our international radio.
2: International radio. Amazing. The caption for the next panel then says,
0: Elsewhere on Earth 1, the hulking humanoid known as Solomon Grundy has made a landing from his orbiting prison globe, and... And we see Grundy,
2: who seems to have grabbed a tree in his left hand, and he's not very happy. He's yelling, "We ME FIND GREEN LANTERN! ME KILL HIM DEAD! So that's cool. It's references to the, the Alan Scott Earth 2 Green Lantern, who does not appear in this who is not appearing in this film, (laughs) who doesn't appear in this story, which is great. The caption for the next
0: panel. Demented rage sparkles in his bestial eyes. Hot blood surges through his veins with primitive kill lust. One thought
2: alone obsesses his subhuman brain. And we see Grundy trashing a house, basically, with the tree trunk. And Grundy says, Me hate Green Lantern. Me kill him dead. And in a voice, what looks like someone actually inside the house, this must be terrifying for them, <laughs> says Call the police, a monster's on the loose Then the caption for the next panel
0: From countryside to city street, the marshland monster turns its titanic
2: strength to senseless destruction as This is a great panel, very dynamic artwork showing Solomon throwing some cars around as a policeman finally on him, a giant crash sound effect And one track of mine, Solomon Grundy, he's saying the lantern, come here, then me kill. We have arrived at the bottom of page ten, and a caption for the next panel then says,
0: Hold on! Solomon Grundy is not the only awesome avatar being freed from an imprisoning sleep, for, in Gotham City's Alfred Memorial Foundation, at this moment, in a laboratory where unleashed
2: power is running wild, so this panel, very exciting. There's electrical equipment obviously fizzing and zisting and popping because we see Blockbuster breaking free from his, his restraints. We can see some electronic scientific equipment ranged around the room and there's a scientist in attendance who's very concerned and he exclaims The Blockbuster is breaking loose, disappearing before my eyes! And it does look as though Blockbuster is a little growing a little transparent around his face and his head, is almost like he's fading from sight. Yes. I wonder what he's off to. The caption at the top of page eleven says The eerie
0: energies that have displaced people from Earth 1 to Earth 2 now displace Blockbuster. Just as Solomon Grundy was switched onto Earth 1, the brute Behemoth has been transferred to Earth Two. And we see Blockbuster
1: marching through a swamp. I wonder if it's slaughter swamp. Could be. Could be. Let's see if there's any of uh, Rex
2: Tyler's contaminated chemicals in the water. <laughs> then we'll know. Rex Tyler's contaminated chemicals was a, a programme that ran on, on Children's BBC in the early 90s. <laughs> so this panel shows Blockbuster marching through the swamp with a... Grar! I'm glad I'm playing Blockbuster because he's got much less dialogue than Solomon Grundy. (laughs) Anyway, we then have a full panel space of text, which is a bit helpful, and it says, Thus, our superheroes
0: of Earth One are about to be challenged by only one mammoth monster, but... What an adversary Solomon Grundy is going to be. For, imprisoned in the globe of striped magic yellow bands and power ring green bands, he has absorbed some of Dr. Fate's
1: powers as well as those of Green Lantern. Oh, no. And then we have a lovely Google check band, just to emphasise the fact it's 1966. Mm -hmm. And underneath that it says, Editor's Notes. If you haven't read it... You're out of luck, but if you can beg, borrow or buy a copy of Showcase 55, you can still thrill to... Solomon Solomon Grundy Goes on a a Rampage! rampage. Or just listen to our previous show.
2: Yes, please do, because it's great. So, the next panel on page 11 has a caption that says... But, before we get to that
0: pulse-stunning, power-packed battle between Solomon Grundy and the Justice members... We want you to peek in on a certain laboratory in Ivy
2: Town. Yes, and this panel shows the atom Ray Palmer in his civvies, hard at work in his laboratory, with his assistant, Richita Nigrini, and Ray is thinking, My emergency justice leak signal buzzing like mad, but the size
1: and weight controls of my invisible atom uniform won't function. Oh no. The caption for the next
2: panel then says
0: Though he has been helping his Italian exchange scientist assistant Enricetta Nagrini in her greatest experiment Ray Palmer
2: quickly loses interest since And we can see Ray making fists to try and activate his size changing equipment And it's not working and he's thinking I can't help my fellow members in
1: whatever case it is that occupies them I'm stuck here, it's Ray Palmer I wonder
2: what's affecting Ray's size changing equipment I wonder if we'll find out I hope Mm. so. Right, so we now move to the bottom of page 11 and the caption that says... Okay, now we're ready.
0: The seething hate in the brain of Solomon Grundy allows him only one thought. Seek out and destroy Green Lantern. And as the
2: members of the justice groups surge forward, he hears that name cried out. And this panel's almost from the point of view lurking behind Solomon Grundy as he's looking up and he sees the silhouette of Hawkman flying in and Green Lantern... Bearing Dr. Midnight, Black Canary, and the Flash on a little power ring generated platform. Canary says, Green Lantern, look, it's Solomon Grundy! Grundy exclaims, Green Lantern, ah,
1: me kill him! Before we move on, interestingly, on that panel, Flash seems to be crouching down. I wonder if he's taken off his yellow boots so that he can actually stand on the thing, but he does actually look as if he's crouching down, so he may well be sitting uh, so that he's not going to fall through the platform. I hope so. That would be terrible. Mm. So, we now move to the top of page
0: 12. Solomon Grundy blinks with hesitation. This is not the Green Lantern he knows, but the name's the same, even if the costumed figure
2: isn't. And so, action! There's another very dynamic panel. I'm very impressed. I wonder if he spiked it from Gil Kane. I'm very down on Mike Sikowski. So we're up in the air now with Green Lantern looking down towards Grundy, who's hurling a rock up at Hal Jordan's Green Lantern. Grundy yells, Kill! And Green Lantern says, Grundy, you've got the wrong party, but I'm turning this into a surprise party for you. The next panel, Green Lantern fires the boulder that Grundy threw back at Grundy, and Green Lantern says, to start the festivities, here's a sock in the shinozla. <laughs> Amazing. The next panel, with a bwam, Grundy punches the rock, and it shatters. Grundy roars, Roar! Dr. Midnight black canary in the background of this panel, and Dr. Midnight is thinking, Wow, Grundy smashed Green Lantern's blast with his bare fist. How'd he come up with that extra power? The next panel, Black Canadian is approaching Grundy, and she's thinking, I'll break a pellet of paralysis powder from my amulet. A bit of feminine charm to soothe the savage beast. The caption for the next panel says,
0: The blonde bombshell blows that powder right at the mammoth man-thing, who
2: promptly blows it right back. Yeah, you see Dinah blowing the powder, and then a very, it must be said, a very rotund-looking <laughs> Grundy with a foo sound effect, blowing it straight back, about simultaneous action on that panel. We move to the top of page 13, Canary is down on the ground, the caption says, As the girl gladiator drops, the Scarlet Speedster rockets forward. Again, this looks tremendous compared to some of the stuff we've had in the past. Flash moves forward, whirling both his arms, and he's thinking... I'll windmill that stuff away from
1: Black Canary while whipping up a storm of objects to Solomon Grundy to distract him until I can come to grips with him.
2: Yeah, we see rocks and bits of trees sort of flying around. A lot going on. The caption for the next panel. Then, as Flash
0: super speeds at the
2: marshland monster... Grundy's hands are flailing around him and he yells... Ah! Me stop you! Me send you back! Yeah, it's obviously having an effect because the Flash says... Hey, I'm not moving forward. I've been stopped dead in my tracks!" The caption for the next panel Unable to stop his progress, in
0: reverse the Scarlet Speedster races backward around the world
2: Wow yeah and we see Barry as the Flash running full speed but backwards, we see him running backwards over some water, maybe it's the ocean, and he's thinking I still have all my speed but for some strange
1: reason I'm not able to control it, but maybe this won't be a total loss if I can slam into Solomon
2: Grundy from the rear Yeah, this is great because obviously Barry must be going at some speed because he's completely lapped and come all the way around the world. For the next panel, the caption says, Straight to his starting point, he back dashes. We see Barry running at speed, reversing towards almost a crouching Solomon Grundy, and the Flash is thinking, When I wham into him at this speed, that swampland savage is going to be banged galley west. Then the caption for the next panel at the bottom of page 13
0: says Oops! Whether Solomon Grundy is doing this with the magic of Doctor Fate or the powering energy of Earth 2's Green Lantern makes no difference.
2: Brother, he is doing it! And Grundy has turned around the next panel and seen the flash coming towards him and Grundy seems to be gesturing again and he proclaims Ah! Kill! Kill! And it looks like the flash is lifting up into the air and the, the flash is thinking Rising! Into the air! Up and away from him. Over the page to page 14. Now it is the man of Midnight's turn. And we see Dr Midnight coming in behind Grundy with his fancy weapon that we met earlier in the story raised and, and the doc is thinking, If I ever saw an emergency case, this is it. I'll anesthetize him with a laser beam. A barrage of red
0: energy inundates the marshland monster. For an instant he stands quivering,
2: shaking with uncontrollable rage. Yeah, see what you see with a giant roar of... You ah! see Grundy being struck by the, the red energy from Dr. Midnight's laser beam. is quite effective. He looks very like the Hulk there, it must be said, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Much more than some of the other ones. Then the caption for the next panel says...
0: Then, with a bellow of mad fury, he rips that lethal laser light from his body, hurls it away from himself.
2: Yeah! You know, the power that he has blagged from Dr. Fate and Green Lantern is quite extraordinary because Grundy just shoves the red laser light energy away from him and it, it falls down on the ground. Grundy exclaims, Kill, kill, kill! Green Lantern is flying overhead. Dr. Midnight is ducking out the way of the, the red laser energy and Dr. Midnight says, Take cover! That stuff couldn't harm him, but it could kill us! So I maybe underplayed that slightly when I said that Solomon threw it onto the ground, not to worry. Then we have another panel which runs the length of page 14 from top to tail. And the caption says, Hawkman swoops in. This is great. Hawkman swoops in and grabs Grundy by the hair on the top of his head. Grundy roars again. And Hawkman says,
0: I'll pull the hairy sniry bit and yank him up by his top piece.
2: (laughs) I'm going to have that as my message alert tone on my phone. (laughs) So we're now at the top of page 15. It's another full-length, page-length panel. The caption says, Struggling desperately, shrieking with ungovernable hate, the macabre man thing is lifted upward. So this panel, where again, the, the point of view is sort of behind Hawkman up in the air as he's lifting Grundy up with the hair. Green Lantern is busy with his ring and Black and Flash and Doctor Midnight are running towards him. Green Lantern is saying,
1: Good work, Hawkman. This is our chance. Come on, everybody free rides today on my flying
2: carpet. Yeah, Hal has conjured up flying carpet using his power ring, so the next panel on page 15 the caption says,
0: footloose but not very fancy free, the swampland savage is turned into a human punching bag high above
2: the surface of the planet. Yeah, and that's basically what's going on in this panel. Hal's green lantern ring must have borne them up to chase after Hawkman and Grundy and we see Barry the Flash getting some slaps in and Black Canary punching at Grundy and Dr. Knight gesturing with his gun and, and Hal seems to be doing something too, so... And
1: Hawkman's still pulling him by the hair.
2: Yeah, yeah. I... <laughs> Which can't be nice. No. So, caption for the next panel.
0: Blow-battered and fist-flailed Solomon Grundy weakens. His desperate twistings grow less frenzied. His mammoth body can absorb no more of this superpowered punishment.
2: Hawkman is now carrying Grundy by his collar. He stopped playing by the hair, which is quite nice. And we can see that Dr. Midnight, Flash and Canary are back down on the ground. Green Lantern is gesturing towards a sort of mountain range in the distance. And Green Lantern says... Hawkman! Over this way for the grand finale. The caption for the next panel. A power-ringed
0: wedge opens up an entire mountain. Above that mighty maw flies Hawkman with his
2: inert burden. And we see the front of the panel flash from Green Lantern's power ring as he has basically made the mountain open up and Hawkman lets go of Grundy who falls into the chasm. And we have a closing caption for this page which
0: says. Will thousands of tons of solid rock and granite hold the macabre man thing? No one can answer that question, yet. Right now, however, the spectre is facing an even more deadly menace.
2: We arrive now at the top of page 16, and a caption says,
0: Drawn between worlds on the borderland of everywhere and nowhere, the disembodied detective comes face to face with the terrifying challenge of the unknown.
2: The challenge of the unknown. Yes, not to be confused with the challenges of the unknown. No, no, a single challenge of the unknown. Yes, yes. A single challenge of them. That was the less successful spin-off series. <laughs> and this first panel on page sixteen shows the Spectre basically confronted with the antimatter man, who we saw in the opening splash panel. So as a reminder, he wears an orange outfit. His face is sort of one half a sort of blue, one half a sort of mm. black. Whereas his eyes are just circles with sort of stars inside them. Again, you know they're sort of alternating colours and mismatched. The Spectre is thinking, What is that thing? An intelligent being of some manifestation of unguessable natural forces in a space sector? It's giving off an odd glow that's weakening me. Then, in, in a very effective single shot of the Spectre's face, he's thinking, With my spectral powers, I can sense that it comes from an antimatter universe. If it comes in contact with solid matter of my universe, instant destruction! Next panel, Spectre takes a punch at the antimatter man with a giant whoop sound effect, and he thinks, Since I am a spirit, I am not composed of positive matter. I must fight and defeat this unknown before it crosses over the borderland into Earth itself. We then have a closing caption box which says,
0: Sheesh! Is Spectre ever in for a shock? If you are brave enough, go on reading. But if you can't stand thrills and dangers, surprises and catastrophes, stop now and play it safe. For the Valiant Ones, the story continues on the second page following. So, over the page to page
2: 17, and we have a caption that says, Crisis Crisis between Earth Earth 1 and Earth 2,
0: Part 3.
2: And we have an opening caption that
0: says, in the eerie realm between Earths, between space and non-space, on the very rim of time itself that borders our matter universe and the antimatter universe, which is the opposite of our own world, the ghostly guardian engages in one of the most frightening fights ever known. Though the spectre is not composed of matter, the alien energies seething inside his antimatter opponent take their own toll of
2: the spirit's loot. Yes, yeah, so this is obviously where the Spectre has ended up after he dissolved early on, where we saw him. And the first panel on page 17, there's only two large panels on this page. The antimatter man retaliates with a zwack, but the Spectre notices something has gone wrong. And he thinks, My arm shrank to a third of its former size, and oh, my battered head! And indeed, yeah, the, the Spectre's right hand and right arm is... Shrunk? I wonder if that's the effect of the Antimatter Man, it must be. It looks like a baby arm, it's really freaky. Yeah, it's really, well it's not as freaky as the next panel, where the Spectre's head has grown to an enormous size on his normal-sized body with its tiny shrunken right arm. It's quite tricky in a perspective, so him and the Antimatter Man are standing amongst a sort of very spacey cosmic background, but this giant-headed Spectre is now thinking, My head, swelling up like a balloon. Every time I come into contact with the Antimatter Man, something terrible happens to me! At the top of page 19, a caption says,
0: As the discarnate detective desperately seeks to rally his ebbing
2: powers. Yeah, with a bop, the Antimatter Man strikes the Spectre on the head, with the result that his legs shrink up into his body, and his head's still quite enormous. He looks like a weird Funko Pop version of the Spectre. Now. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> funny. Spectre is thinking, I'll suspend time itself so I can't. Uh, too late! He's hit me so hard he's driven my legs up into my body. Caption for the next panel.
0: Distorted and deformed, dazed and shocked by contact with antimatter, the spectre is helpless to move. This is
2: horrible. His legs have disappeared and his, trunk, his trunks are basically just stuck on top of his, his shoes and his little pixie boots. It's horrifying. The antimatter man has started walking away and this distorted spectre is thinking, at least my spirit senses are still functioning and they tell me that antimatter man is on his way to earth. The instant he sets his antimatter foot on Earth, they'll both blow up like an exploding nova. The caption for the next panel. Threat builds upon threat as the Spectre sees. And the point of view for this panel is behind the Spectre's head. As he looks and he can see twin Earths in space in front of him and he's thinking. Earth 1 and Earth 2 on a collision course. Even if antimatter man never steps in either of them, they are doomed to meet and blow up anyway. Good grief, the stakes have never been higher. The caption for the next panel. Quietly but desperately he fights a lone battle, exerting
0: every effort to command his spirit shape to its normal form, rising upward and outward toward the twin earths.
2: The spectre's managed to return to his normal proportions, and he seems to be growing in size, and he's thinking, I'm the only one in all the universes who knows about the oncoming doom of Earth 1 and 2. It's up to me to prevent it. Caption for the next panel. And then, outdoing the legendary
0: Atlas with the world upon his shoulders, the ghostly guardian holds off one Earth with his hands and the other with his feet. This is
2: outstanding, don't you think so, Peter? Yes, absolutely. I mean, actually, if you turn, if you rotate the page 90 degrees, it almost looks like he's standing on one Earth. And he's stretched out his full height. And he's using his hands to try and push the other Earth away. Now, the, the two globes, they appear very much as sort of solid objects. Like, one of the Spectre's feet is over the ocean, one is over land. Yeah. And he appears to be holding on to, to North America and the other globe. So, similar sort of thing to some of the stuff we've seen before when the Spectre goes cosmic. The normal sort of physical rules don't seem to apply when you get cosmic. Yes, absolutely. So, Spectre's stretched out between the two Earths and he's thinking, there, for a while at least, there can be no collision. But how long can I maintain this position? Over the page to page 19.
0: At this critical moment, let us return to Batman and the members of the Justice
2: Society on Earth 2, short hours before in the Secret Sanctuary. And we see Batman, who is now with Dr. Fate, who we haven't seen yet in this episode, and Sandman and Wildcat. Batman is saying, How about it, Dr. Fate? Magic me back to Earth 1. And Dr. Fate is gesturing towards his big golden crystal ball, very similar to what we've seen before, and he's still using the the little lightning bolts to represent his magic. And Dr. Fate says,
0: That's not going to be as easy as it sounds, Batman. I've been checking into my crystal ball here, and I can't see anything of Earth 1. If I can't see it, I can't send you there. As long as you're stuck here, you can help us clear up this mess.
2: And in the background of this panel, we see the Sandman. The Sandman's hat, the brim seems a lot smaller than it should be. (laughs) Yeah. It's not quite the fedora. It's a bit more of a trilby (laughs) in style. The Sandman has something to say. Hold it. Listen to what's coming in over the radio. A primitive throwback to the days
1: of the caveman is running wild in Pine Tree City. The police are unable to cope
2: with him. Pine Tree City? Pine Tree City. That's good. That's a new one. I hope someone's writing all these down. So the voices come out of the radio and the assembled heroes react. Dr. Fate says, I wonder
1: if that caveman character is connected with the fantastic displacements that have been occurring between Earth 1 and Earth 2. Well, Khan says.
2: Let's go find out.
1: And so,
0: unaware of the doom that threatens both their Earths, Batman with the Justice Society
2: members race down upon... And it's Blockbuster. He's lifted a telegraph pole out of the ground and he's swirling it around as... Sparks flying as the electricity is discharged. Batman is riding with Sandman in his sand car. Dr Fate is flying in and Wildcats on his motorbike. Batman is thinking, Good gosh, it's the blockbuster.
0: I'd never been able to stop him as Batman, only as Bruce Wayne, because I once saved his life.
2: The caption for the next panel at the bottom of page 19 says,
0: Instantly the masked Manhunter yanks off his disguise but not before
2: Wildcat drives to the attack. Yeah, with a whap sound effect, Wildcat punches at Blockbuster, saying, Nobody's ever stood up yet to the punch that made me undefeated champion of Earth 2. Which is confirming, then, at, the, at this point, I suppose, that Wildcat is indeed on Earth yes. 2. <laughs> so far. At least one version is. Yes, as you say, at least one version, possibly. So, we're now at the top of page 20. The caption says,
0: Blockbuster does
2: not blink even under that frightful blow. Instead... With a zock, Blockbuster punches Wildcat, who goes flying backwards into the unmasked Batman. And Bruce Wayne says, Wait, I'm the only one who can handle him. The caption for the next panel, As the battered Wildcat rams into Batman, There's a giant thwack sound effect as Wildcat and Batman go down. Then in the caption says, The
0: cowled crusader lies with his face pressed into the ground,
2: unconscious as... And the Sandman leaps into action, saying, I'll take care of him with unbreakable glass fashioned from this special sand and a blast from my sand gun. So Sandman has produced some special sand from somewhere, hurled it at Blockbuster and he's firing his sand gun, which obviously has some kind of alchemic transformative effect on the minerals. Very interesting and it does tie into something in the future. It's very, very clever. So the next panel, it looks like Blockbuster's been frozen in a block of ice, but actually the Sandman says, got him locked up inside shatterproof glass, harmless as a glass statue. We see the gun funny a little burst of heat Which is obviously is melting the, the sand into glass However We reach the bottom of page 20 The caption says Petrified by the hard sheath
0: The British behemoth stands rigid <laughs> Until with a mad bellow
2: of berserk ferocity Yeah, with a giant roar, Blockbuster bursts out of the glass A giant crack as the glass shatters Sandman goes flying back Saying Incredible He smashed his way out over the page to page twenty-one forward darts the master of magic dr fate gestures with his magic lightning bolts and he thinks got to change that
0: deadly glass to water make it
2: splash harmlessly over sandman and indeed with a couple of splashes we see the glass change into water, and I really don't like this Chilby-style hat that they've given <laughs> they've given the Sandman. It's obviously influenced by the contemporary sort of Rat Pack sort yes, of stylings, I suppose, yeah. or maybe slightly less than contemporary now we're in 66. Anyway, the caption for the next panel. Then he turns his attention to the caveman Colossus. Dr. Fate flies towards Blockbuster, gesturing with his magic. There's a burst of energy around Blockbuster, and the Doctor thinks...
0: I'll lift him up into the air as a human balloon, where he can't do any harm.
2: So, the caption for the third panel, page 21, says But, even
0: as Blockbuster rises upward, out of his mighty body flow the electrical
2: impulses it absorbed in the Alfred Memorial Foundation. And as an odd rip sound effect, and it looks as though Blockbuster's gesturing with a sort of pink-flamed energy. Doctor Fate thinks Amazing. He has the power to convert my magic kinetic energies into some type of power that he can utilise himself. The next panel, panel 4 and page 21, with a zzz sound effect. Blockbuster is hurling his pink flame energy at Dr Fate, who recoils, and Dr Fate thinks... Overpowering me with my own magic aura! Must say again here, the artwork is, is tremendous. In the bottom panel of page 21 now, Blockbuster has grabbed Dr Fate by the wrist with a ga Says Blockbuster, and Dr Fate thinks... Can't move! my body seems caught in a spell and then on page twenty two we have a panel which takes the full length of the page into the air blockbuster swings
0: his victim
2: blockbuster has got dr fate's right wrist in his left hand and he's whirling up above his head he's roaring Grah! but down on the ground in front of him we see an unconscious wildcat but bruce wayne a k batman Start to come to, and he's pulling himself up and looking round at Blockbuster. So the caption for the next panel on page 22 says, Dazedly, Bruce Wayne lifts himself up on one knee.
0: His hand flashes outward, palm up. And we see Bruce looking up at Blockbuster. The caption for the next panel. Across the Blockbuster's misshapen face passes a strange look as he sees the face of the man who once befriended him.
2: And with an "Ah!" Blockbuster, turns his attention to Bruce Wayne. It must be said, Blockbuster's eyebrows are spectacular here. (laughs) He looks like one of the girls off Geordie Shore. He looks terrific. And Bruce Wayne says, I'm Bruce Wayne. You remember me. I saved your life
1: in a quicksand bog. The closing panel for page 22 then has a caption that says,
0: Then with a happy shout, he drops Dr. Freight and catches hold of his friend,
2: his pal, his buddy. And with a Gah! This is a very joyous looking panel. Blockbuster embraces Bruce Wayne in a big hug, and Bruce Wayne thinks, Oh boy, even when he likes you, he's so strong, he hurts you. Over the page, past an advertisement for an exciting ant farm that only costs $2.98, we're at the top of page 23 and a caption that says, And when the Justice Society members come to, see Dr. Fate, Sandman in his annoying small hat, And Wildcat, and Blockbuster looks much, much happier. He's patting Bruce Wayne, Batman, on the back with a thumper-thumper. And Bruce is saying,
0: He will obey me in my civilian identity. I am the only one
2: besides his brother whom he will listen to. And Wildcat says, You've revealed your true face to us. Well, it doesn't matter since we're on Earth 2 and you're from Earth 1. Sandman adds, Your secret will be safe with us. Dr Fate says,
0: But this doesn't solve our immediate problem. "'You can't go on babysitting for that brute, Batman!' What are you going to do with him?
2: Now, the interesting thing here is there's no sign here that the Justice Society members recognise Bruce Wayne.
1: It's fascinating, especially considering uh, we've recently had the Earth-2 Batman appear in the imaginary story, in that detective story where he replaces Earth-1 Batman, so we know if he's replacing him, he must look absolutely identical to him. Yeah, pretty much. So there can't be much of a physical difference between the two of them? Is it a case that the Justice Society don't know each other's identities, or is it just because... Batman's not an active member yeah no, he wasn't a big member back in the golden age
2: but you'd think they would know yeah and, or maybe Wildcat has made the assumption that Batman of Earth 1 is Bruce Wayne but it doesn't necessarily mean that Batman of Earth 2 is you know but then he, as you say you'd think they would probably know yeah it could just be that
1: uh, because they all have concealed identities, they know how big a thing it is to take off your mask yeah. and reveal and expose yourself that way. So yeah, it's possibly a showing of solidarity,
2: almost. Yeah, and Wildcat's sort of saying that, you know, it's not as if we were going to pop up on Earth 1 and tell everyone that yeah. the guy who people know there is as Batman is actually Bruce Wayne.
1: Although they could pop round to Wayne
2: Manor and say, by the way, are you Batman <laughs> on Earth 2? <too?" laughs> <laughs> just checking. Oh bother! I'm just checking. Right, so, the next panel space is taken up with headshots of Solomon Grundy and Blockbuster and a caption that says, What indeed can
0: Batman and the Justice Society members do with the Blockbuster? How can they prevent his going on another rampage? And, over on Earth One, can Flash, Green Lantern, Doctor Midnight, Black Canary and Hawkman ever be really sure that Solomon Grundy won't burst out of his mountain prison? So we have a slow dissolve now, and a caption that says... On Earth 1, Ray Atom Palmer still cannot get his size and weight control device to work.
2: And we see Ray's assistant in the background, working away, and she's saying... I believe I am succeeding, Ray. I am doing what I set out to do. Oh, it's so exciting! And in the foreground, Ray Palmer is thinking... I wish I could succeed in what I'm trying to do. You know what, Peter? I'm starting to wonder if maybe Henry Chester's equipment has got something to do with everything that's going on. Let's find out. I wonder. So... We dissolve back into that scary cosmic space where we saw the Spectre and the Antimatter Man, and we see the Antimatter Man striding, and the captions saying, And, don't forget,
0: Antimatter Man, who is approaching Earth as he strides across the eerie realm between worlds. Finally, what of Spectre and the crisis he's trying to stave off between
2: Earth 1 and Earth 2? Over the page, to the closing page 24, we see the Spectre still standing with his feet on one Earth trying to. Hold off the other earth with his hands. The caption says, Out on the very
0: rim of existence, where nowhere becomes somewhere and time merges into space itself.
2: The specter is thinking.
0: Strange, overwhelming forces are hurling the two earths together. I cannot resist them much longer. The non-matter form of the disembodied detective shrinks. Smaller he becomes and still smaller...
2: Yeah, it looks as though the spectre's shrinking as the Earths get bigger. So, we have a closing caption for issue 46, and it says, You do not dare miss
0: the concluding chapters to this tale of terrific forces which pits superheroes against the grim giants of Earth-1 and Earth-2, against the dread danger of Anti-Matter-Man, against the coming crash of two worlds, which will mean the utter destruction of mankind. Is there anything the Justice League and Justice Society members can do to prevent the absolute end of everything? Amazing Answers, next issue.
1: Wow. I, I like Crash of Two Worlds was a nice little mention there in the
2: final panel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, cra- the coming Crash of Two Worlds, yeah. That was terrific. That's quite epic, yes. That was so exciting. It was very full-on, full-throttle. Mm. There's a lot to talk about there. Where do you want to start, then? First of all, let's talk about the the
1: Justice Society. It's great that, again, they seem to be pretty much the focus. There's more of them in this story than there are of Justice Leaguers. And Mm -hmm. it's just really cool. Obviously, we've had Solomon Grundy come back, who's a big GSA Mm -hmm. baddie, which is quite cool. Yes. Gardner Fox seems to have a bit of a minor obsession about upgrading the GSA and their powers and abilities.
2: Yes, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: His, I mean, you've got Dr. Midnight's cyrotuber device, which Mm. seems to basically do anything. Yes, whatever the plot requires. <laughs> Sandman's sand gun and what he's doing with that is actually something that will feature much later on. And indeed, we will get mm. to that later on. It does form a big part of character development for a different character. Yeah. But that's way down the line. But at least that has mm. some roots in his background and everything. But Dr. Midnight seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, the fact he's got a freezing ray on it seems to be, has he like, taken that from the icicle? Modified one of the Ace girl's ice guns and put that on as an attachment. Yeah.
2: That's weird. I'm not really into Doctor Midnight having this little multitask gadget gun all of a sudden. Yeah. Comparatively recently when we did issue 159 of The Flash, we talked about what uses blackout bombs might have been in that yeah. story. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if then the DC Comics team have sort of thought, hang on a minute, all Doctor Midnight has got is these blackout bombs. Yeah. Let's try and make them more interesting. Uh-huh. We didn't even see the blackout bombs in this story. No, true. Why didn't you use a blackout bomb against Blockbuster, for example? That would yeah. To disorientate yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point I mean, Because obviously We talked before About our man Having a belt radio And Black Canary Having a, some extra Equipment and all that And
1: again Black Canary uses Something from our necklace choker In this issue I had a look back At the Golden Age Black Canary stories To see if there's Any sort of precedent For this And there have been Occasions where There has been Something on our choker But not to the extent Of here's some gas pellets I can throw Yeah I've only found Three instances of it In, in the Golden Age Because I've got The Black Canary archive And it reprints All our Golden Age Appearances mm-hmm. Apart from the all Star. I didn't go through all the All-Stars, but I can only find three mm-hmm. in the archive. Mm-hmm. She's actually got an actual black canary pendant in the middle of her choker. Right. And the beak of that is like diamond tipped, so she used that to cut glass. Right Inside it has got a mirror, so she used that to deflect the beam in another story. Uh-huh. And the third thing is, there was a, a flint in it which she used to start a fire in one story. But again, that's just her solo stories. I don't know if it was used to a different extent in the actual GSA stories. But she's an expert in in judo. She holds her own in fights without having to resort to gimmicks on her choker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously later on, We've got a black canary who has a sonic scream, and actual power. Okay, fair enough. But trying to fit tiny wee gadgets onto the small choker that she's got when, you know, she's got pockets in her outfit, <laughs> which would be a lot easier to put things in yes. and use. It's, yeah. I always find that sort of thing quite bizarre
2: and that they, it's almost like she's got a mini utility belt. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, black canary doesn't have the canary cry. Mm-hmm which we've all got used to over the years. Yeah. And I mean, that's one thing. Recently, there was the trailer for the, the new animated Justice Society movie that's going to be coming out. Mm-hmm. And you and I both sort of twitched a little bit at the fact that Canary <laughs> had this Canary cry in the golden age. Yeah, and first of all, she
1: exists in World War II. She didn't actually be until 1947,
2: but it never ends. Yeah, exactly. It makes sense at this point in her career when she doesn't actually have superpowers to be resourceful enough to have all these knickknacks or whatever yeah. about her that she, that she can use. I mean, they are getting older, so it would make sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. One thing I thought was great, it was just the casual way that Dr. Fate rocked up. <laughs> yeah. He was just there. Yeah. He didn't get an introduction scene or anything. It was just like they're at the base and he's there and they joined it mid scene. I really liked that. I thought that was good. He's almost been the front
1: and centre of J.S. in the previous stories that we've read. Uh-huh. He's almost like the Superman of the team in a way uh-huh. in that, you know, he seems to be the one that sort of takes charge, takes leads, and the focus is on is putting the Spectre aside
2: for a moment. He's the most powerful one that actually is there all the time. Yeah. We've not actually seen the Spectre working with the Justice Society yet. Nope. Not since they've been revived, we saw there that he got a call from Starman, mm-hmm. which I I really like. <laughs> and do you know what? I really liked the way that the two teams got mixed up. Yeah, that is good. The last one we did in thirty-seven, thirty-eight, the Justice League was incapacitated, and it was the Justice ah. Society's story. Yeah. And the previous one, they all took turns fighting the Crime Syndicate. So this is the first time that almost like they've drawn the names out of a hat, or yeah, and you know, picked them all out. So it was it was nice having them sort of mixed up. I liked Batman's scene with them at the end, where he had to unmask. Mm-hmm. Nice bit of bonding, yeah. Yeah, references of course to blockbuster breaking out of the the
1: Alfred Memorial Foundation because this was the time when the Wayne Foundation was rebranded as the Alfred Foundation because... Alfred was currently dead, although not really. He was the outsider. I've gone on to this story yes.
2: before. Don't like it. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. And you know it's It's fun. It's worth pointing out, actually, at this point, as we do JLA issues 46 and 47, we still haven't reached the, the final story that we did in the Rosatana episode months and months and months ago. That's true. We still haven't quite caught up. I'm intrigued by Grundy being dropped in the middle of a mountain as well. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Grundy being up in space and then being brought back down to Earth for this story. There's a storyline in the. We haven't talked about it for a while, actually, the James Robinson Starman series where Jack's way out in space and he meets a Solomon Grundy on another planet which is basically the Solomon Grundy a Solomon Grundy that was sent up into space Ah. by Doctor Fate and Green Lantern and that story suggests this is the Grundy that was sent up into space after Mm. issue 55 of Showcase whereas this Justice League that they've just done contradicts that at least it does so far unless the story finishes with Grundy being sent out into space again but we'll see we're getting ahead of ourselves with that we shall see
1: yeah it's nice to see Ray's lab partner, Enruceta Grunekini, turn up in this because she is a supporting character in the Atom and she actually does come back right. post-crisis as well.
2: Oh, fantastic.
1: She's a big feature in the Power of the Atom series. Right. So it's okay. quite cool that like, that's a character that you generally think of as just a like, supporting character in the Atom and it's like, who really remembers her? And yet they use her in this. That's quite cool. In quite a significant way.
2: Yeah, it's the equivalent of one of the supporting characters in one of the MCU movies getting a the end Endgame or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It rattled along. There was a lot going yeah. on. Some of my favourite characters in it. It was great seeing Sandman back. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see the two teams properly interacting, really, for the first time really, yeah. since 21 and 22. So, yeah. There's some interesting stylistic changes in this as well. You commented in the artwork, mm.
1: it looks almost Murphy Anderson ish yes. in some of the panels, which is very cool. And also, you can see some Gil Kane influences. Yes. But one of the stylistic things I want to talk about is. Again, you can totally tell when this is. It's right in that Batmania moment because we've got, yeah. As well as the the big giant sound effect captions that they've got mm-hmm. here, there's a change in just the style and the tone of the actual captions themselves. They're almost conversational, like, okay, now we're ready. Yeah. You see the, you know it's it's almost like talking to the reader. Yeah. Even the use of the Google checks in the middle of a caption box. You know the Google checks that run mm-hmm. across the top of the covers of all these issues at this period for DC. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really just something that's totally evocative of the time. Here's another caption that says, "Oops."
2: Whether Solomon Grundy
1: is doing that, it's it's
2: conversational. It's, it's yeah. really weird. Yeah, it's completely different, isn't it? Yeah, totally different from anything we've had. Because normally they're a bit more detached and a bit more yeah. telling the story. But this is yeah yeah, yeah. conversation is a really good way of putting uh-huh. it. Yeah. So
1: it's it's just fascinating seeing that. Okay, we'll move on now to the reader reaction. That's in the GLE mailroom from issue 50. Issue 50, I love, it's the Lord of Time. Awesome. A great issue. And the first letter goes Dear editor, GLA 46 raised such a plethora of issues that I just had to take pen in hand and express myself. So, sit back and relax and prepare yourself for an eyeful. <laughs> I would like to commence by stating that once more, congratulations and an order for you and your staff in turning out a real blockbuster. No pun intended. GLA 46 topped all the preceding joint justice group classics, a feat almost impossible to achieve in a view of last year's excellent Crisis on Earth A. Specifically, this year's Crisis story proved a masterpiece because of its A. originality. The usual run-of-the-mill plot pits a group of superheroes against a menace from space or some cookie scientist, but never answers the old puzzler what if they had to face both simultaneously. Mm. in this issue you not only threw two earthly villains blockbuster and solomon grundy and an extraterrestrial menace anti-matter man at the super best of both worlds but plagued them with three mysteries why are the atoms controls malfunctioning why are the people from both earths being transported to each other's sphere and why are both worlds on a collision course ah b artwork in tapping inker sid green to supplement mick scousey's pencils you hit upon the perfect combination mike is a great artist in his own right but just as two heads are often better than one so did mike's panels take on greater clarity and depth with sid as co pilots c choice of jsa members <laughs> ever since you initiated the earth one and earth two stories it has been your policy to bring back at least one jsa member hithertofore unknown to your present generation of readers Thus it was with great satisfaction that I viewed the return of Sandman. Too young to be exposed to his adventures during the Golden Age, i had always wondered about his role in comicdom. I was also elated by Dr Midnight's return. His new weapon was in fine keeping with the medical part of his moniker. The inclusion of the spectre was fine thinking. Dr Fate, Black Canary and Wildcat were equally good choices for this year's roster. And that's from... Our old friend, heard from him before, Joseph J. Arrow from
2: New York, New York. Excellent. And the editorial response, your three-point rundown of what made JLA 46 such a blockbuster did indeed cause us to relax to such an extent that it leaves us with just enough energy to say, thanks, editor. That's lovely. Cool, right. So the second letter, dear editor, you, sir, are a taxing burden to your readers and especially those who are in the custom of regularly commenting on the magazine you produce. What does a person say to an editor who consistently surpasses the quality of each previous issue of the magazine he turns out after the same person has lauded the same editor regarding the unsurpassable quality of the previous issues? It's a problem. Believe me, this is the best letter ever. (laughs) I'm I'm tickled. Consequently, I am somewhat at a loss as as to how... I can cogently comment on JLA 46 crisis between Earth 1 and Earth 2, since I've said before that the Justice Society adventures have reached their pinnacle. The fact is, they haven't, because in what is becoming a customary occurrence, the new story surpassed its predecessors. I would agree with that so far, to be honest. Cool. I think what pleased me most about this story was its structural balance, the simultaneous balance of several plots, a trademark of writer Gardner Fox. He may write better stories, but none so well constructed. He handled it exceptionally well. And to be used effectively, it must be so. First, he sprung the transfers of everyday people between the two earths, which we didn't really talk about, but that was that was joyous. Yep. That was really funny, the, the golfer and the boxer especially. Sure. Good start, the letter continues. Then we find that the Justice League and Justice Society have also been afflicted. The action starts to pick up. Several panels later, we find that Solomon Grundy and his Earth One counterpart, the Blockbuster, the choice of another villain would have destroyed any semblance of balance, cheers for the author's awareness of this, have been interchanged. The plot thickens, finally, acting as a fulcrum and balancing point for the skilful interchange is the Spectre's encounter with Antimatter Man and his struggle to save both Earths. Marvellous. What more can I say? And that's from our old friend, Bob Butts, of South Bend, Ind. Indiana. And the editorial response to Bob Butts is... We're not concerned so much at
1: what more you could have said. as the choice of the one word you singled out to sum up the story. Marvellous. A very competitive word indeed, <laughs> says the editor. Excellent. Excellent. And the final letter says... Dear Editor, though the race is only half over, it looks as though I stand to collect... In my letter in the August GLA, I said that issue 43 was the greatest comic mag I have ever seen. And, I'm not exactly happy to say, I am still holding that opinion. Oh, GLA 46, superb in its own way, did not let me down. But, the cover was a flop. I see nothing more absurd than those visual sound effects that were so generously presented (laughs) on this cover. And something else which bothered me. Batman's name was in print twice as big as Wildcats or Sandman's. So it is. Certainly, I know what a big rage Batman is. I think he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, character in comicdom. But even Batman is not great enough to deserve a billing like that. I could find no fault with the artwork. The storyline was good. It could have been better, but probably not by much. To avoid putting my foot in my mouth, I won't form any permanent opinions until I read next issue's sequel. And that's from Mitch Theophila from
2: Wordsworth, Ohio. These are great points to make because they really highlight the contemporary attitudes and everything yes. that's going on. And indeed, the editorial response says, with Batman such a drawing card at this time, think of how many of his fans, who are not readers of GLA, will have been attracted to this issue. And you'll get the financial point of our Batman emphasis, editor. Terrific. Very, very interesting editorial comments here. Very interesting, very honest, yeah. You have the
1: reference to Marvel... And we'll put Batman on the cover and make him prominent because it's gonna sell more. That is Yeah. Real interesting honesty from the editors there.
2: Yeah, it's terrific. I'm mm-hmm. I'm really impressed. 'Cause obviously Batmania in full swing. Yes. I'll have to see if I can assemble any contemporary Batman advertisements or whatever from the comics to, to stick on the socials yeah. so we can highlight that. Oh, I think there are plenty to choose from. So yeah, that'll be fun. Look out for that. Listeners indeed. Well gosh, that was that was a cracker. It certainly was. I need to have a lie down <laughs> <laughs> that's what the readers at
1: the time thought about it and you've heard what we thought about it but what dear listener do you think about it please get in touch you can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com make sure you follow us on facebook instagram and twitter because we always post up tons of extra comment there there'll be a, a an actual gallery for this issue uh, up on facebook so you can see some of the panels we've highlighted uh, you can find us at the Earth 2 podcast on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. We're at podcast underscore Earth 2. We certainly
2: are. So, yeah, please check out our social medias. We're doing our best to give you as much extra sort of context to everything that's going on. got some good stuff lined up for these ones. So, yeah, that was terrific. It certainly was. I hadn't read that story in a very, very, very long time. <laughs> I loved it, apart from the Sandman's Hat. And on that
1: note,
2: <laughs> I've been Peter. And I've been David. And you've been listening to. The Sandman's Hat <laughs> Podcast. The, the Earth, Earth 2, 2 podcast. podcast.
0: Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth
1: Prime amazing. He has the power to convert my magic kinetic energies into some type of power that he can utilise
2: himself. You've paraphrased that completely. It's fine. I I, I troutened it. (laughs) I just troutened it, okay? You can't give me a row then the next time I may. (laughs) I haven't been. (laughs)